In the 17th century, the philosophers Thomas Hobbes and Baruch Spinoza drew up long lists of what they believed were inconsistencies, contradictions, and anachronisms in the Pentateuch, and used them to argue that these first five books of the Bible were neither written by Moses nor inspired. That, in fact, because they were not written by Moses, they were not inspired. They must have, Hobbes and Spinoza uh, contended, uh, been written by a number of, of different authors. And then later, these writings were used as sources by still other writers and consolidated into the first five books of the Bible. The brilliant French physician and medical professor at Paris University, Jean Astruc, uh, uh, 1684 to 1766, was disturbed by this. And in 1753, he published a defense of the mosaic authorship of Genesis. Astruc believed that the literary methods being developed at that time in the study of the classics could be used in assessing the authorship of Genesis. These included analysis of plot, setting, character, point of view, style, characteristic vocabulary, and genre. Astruc believed or drew up parallel columns and assigned verses to each of them according to what he saw as the defining features of the text. For instance, whether a verse used Yahweh or Elohim in referring to God, or whether it had a doublet, two accounts of the same event, such as the creation narrative or Sarah and the king. Astrid thought he had identified four documents in Genesis, which he believed mirrored the four Gospels. That is, he thought that just as there were four biblical accounts of the life of Jesus, so Genesis had originally been written as four books, but with one unified narrative. He therefore arranged his results in these four columns, declaring that this was actually how Moses had originally written Genesis, which had then later been combined into a single book. This explained, he argued, the repetitions and inconsistencies which Hobbes and Spinoza had noted. Astruc's method of literary criticism were taken up and further developed by a succession of scholars, mainly in Germany, who saw his method of analysis as promising, but logically leading to an entirely different set of conclusions. Roughly 130 years later, Julius Wellhausen would publish his famous uh, documentary hypothesis. Wellhausen argued that the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, had its origins in what were originally four independent texts, all of them written several centuries after the time of Moses. Wellhausen designated these four documents, or sources, as J-E-D-P. He came up with this by grouping together those sections which tended to use Yahweh for Israel's God, Yahweh spelled with a J, 
rather than a Y, as in his native German. And those sections that characteristically use Elohim for God, he designated as the E source. D stood for what he called the Deuteronomist source, which was concerned with the code of law found primarily in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. What he labeled as P, for priestly, consisted of those sections concerned with worship and ritual practice and priestly functions. Wellhausen's hypothesis was accepted as definitive, as entirely correct by liberal scholarship uh, up until around um, the mid-1970s. Among those in this long line who continued to refine and apply this methodology of higher criticism or the historical critical method, as it is now most commonly uh, referred to, were H.S. Ramirez, 1694-1768. The Bible, Ramirez insisted, is to be studied like any other book. The real Jesus, who Jesus was as a historical figure, is to be found by paying careful attention to the problems of relative uh, credibility and to literary analysis. Johann Semler, 1725 to 1792, rejected the inspiration of both the Old and New Testaments. Johann Eichhorn, 1752 to 1827, concluded that all supernatural events from his, from his reading of the Bible, all supernatural events related to the Old and the New Testament are attributable to superstitious beliefs. Friedrich Schleimacher, 1768-1834, thought that by comparing works of a similar genre and by paying careful attention to grammatical construction, it is possible to determine why a work was produced in the first place. Ferdinand Bauer, 1792-1860, argued that by the second century, Christianity represented the synthesis of two opposing points of view, Petrine, or Jewish Christianity, descending from Peter, and Gentile Christianity with the Apostle Paul as its originator. Ludwig Feuerbach, 1804-1872, who was actually an anthropologist and philosopher rather than a theologian or biblical scholar, argued that religion, scripture, and God are nothing more than a projection of human need, what Freud would later call wish fulfillment. David Strauss, 1808-1874, famously distinguished between the Christ of faith, meaning the one who is the object of faith, and the Jesus of history, uh, the man who actually lived at a particular time and in a particular place like every other human being. Accordingly, Strauss interpreted the ideas and the stories of the New Testament as Christian myths. Adolf von Harnack, 1851-1931, thought ancient Christology, that is, early Christian beliefs regarding the nature and the person and role of Christ, was dependent 
on non-Christian sources for its concepts and terminology. William Vreda, 1859-1906, was best known for his idea of the so-called messianic secret in the Gospel of Mark. He suggested Jesus' instructions to keep his identity secret in Mark was a device used by Christians, later by Christians, to explain why Christ was not, in Vreda's opinion, more definite in claiming to be the Messiah. Julius Wellhausen, 1844-1918, who has already, as already noted, developed the documentary, uh, uh, documentary hypothesis. Will Walter Bauer, 1877-1960, proposed in his, that in its earliest beginnings, Christianity was composed of groups or communities which differed widely from and wildly uh, from one another in their beliefs, but that in time, one group gained the upper hand and successfully suppressed and eliminated the others. Rudolf Boltmann, 1884-1976, also saw the New Testament as a collection of myths which are impossible for modern men and women to believe and meaningless until subjected to what he called a process of demythologization. What was advertised as the Jesus Seminar was based on Boltman's ideas. All of these scholars, beginning with Jean Asterix, or we might even think of as beginning with Hobbes and Spinoza, played a part in the development of what came to be known as higher criticism, meaning criticism, that is a critique, an evaluation, or an analysis of something. In this case, a critique or analysis of the biblical documents. When I began college, a distinction was made between lower and higher criticism. The work of, of dating and evaluating and determining the original wording of ancient biblical manuscripts as closely as possible was lower criticism. But now the term textual criticism is used more more often for lower criticism. Interestingly, at least to me, is that lower or textual criticism is the more nearly scientific, the more uh, exacting and the less subjective of the two. Higher criticism, as I've been discussing it here, is now usually called the historical critical method. Generally, the historical critical method seeks to identify various elements found in the text, uh, such as doublets, stories that occur twice in a document like the two feedings in Matthew and Mark, or the three wife-sister uh, narratives in Genesis chapters uh, 12 and 20, I think it is, and, and how they compare or contrast. They look for commentary, a, a comment uh, made on a text that has been uh, incorporated into the text itself. They search for stylistic differences, since stylistic and vocabulary differences in a document may indicate 
that that document was written by two or more uh, different people. They look for chronological uh, varia, the, the insertion of a newer word in place of an obsolete or archaic term, and for anachronisms, the placement of uh, someone or uh, something from uh, a, a later period uh, and place it at an earlier uh, time period. They look for seams in a text, indications that something um, doesn't belong or really fit uh, in the place it's found, that, that the text seemed to end and then something inserted and then, and then that it begins again, suggesting that part of the text is a redaction or an editorial insertion. It investigates historical, cultural, and social aspects of a text in an effort to determine uh, other documents or sources from which it may have come or to which it may be related. It frequently tries to reconstruct the thinking and the values of the community it imagines gave rise to a document or piece of writing. And the purpose of the author or authors in writing a particular text, or in making an editorial change. Now, why does any of this matter, or, or does it? I was once asked that question by a conservative pastor in the middle of a presentation I had been invited to give on the subject of the ideas of modern theologians. The answer to that that I most often give, and will stick to here, is that the ideas, values, and thinking of scholars, artists, writers, filmmakers, musicians, and scientists uh, trickle down, uh, tend to trickle down, to the individual on the street uh, or the person in the pew. Uh, look here, Thomas Hobbes and Baruch Spinoza say to their intellectually sophisticated friends over at Bookbinder's Alehouse in Oxford. We've done an objective, scientific analysis of Genesis, and we have evidence that Moses could not have written Genesis as Jesus said. Uh, look at, look at, it's full of inconsistencies and contradictions. Why, you can't even square Genesis 1 with Genesis 2. Look, the story of the Great Flood must have been taken right from the Babylonian book of Gilgamesh, the oldest written story in the world. And as for the rest of the Pentateuch, uh, who do you think narrated uh, Moses' death at the end of Deuteronomy? You can hardly believe it was Moses. Eventually, Jason and Mary, living in the suburbs of our town, USA, casually themselves debunk the Bible as a collection of fanciful stories, citing bits and pieces and paraphrases of scholarly opinions and theories that have filtered down to them. In the next episode of The Quest, the book God Breathed, I will reflect on the limitations of the historical critical method. But I thought for now it important to simply recollect its main features and developments.